Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. And as I promised last week, this episode is going to be about Aaron, Moses' brother, one of the most important characters in the entire Torah. I want to talk about a beautiful rabbinic tradition that developed about Aaron uh, in the traditional texts. But it's not only Torah Lishma, it's not only Torah for its own sake. It really teaches us something about leadership. It teaches us something about roles that we play in this world. And at the very end, I'll connect this beautiful Midrashic tradition with that important, I think, important message for all of us. But before I do, let me, I, I just used the word Midrashic, the adjective from the word Midrash, and it's good every once in a while, since we use that word so often, to explain what Midrash is. Mid, the word midrash comes from the Hebrew word lidrosh, to seek out, to seek out an explanation. And the process of midrash is the process that rabbis and other Jewish teachers have used over the centuries to look at a text from the Torah or from other parts of the Bible, but let's focus on the Torah, and to find ways to have a further understanding of the story, to bring their own ideas about life in general or about Jewish tradition into the text of the Torah. What a, what a rabbi wants to do when he or she shares a midrash or writes a midrash is want to affect the way you hear the words. If the rabbi has been effective enough in sharing the midrash then every time you come along to that text that the Midrash is based upon, you'll hear the Midrash echoing in your mind. Let me give you an example from secular culture. Not quite contemporary, but close to being contemporary. One of my favorite figures in American humor in the past 50 years, a little bit more than that now, is the great Alan Sherman. Many of you might be familiar with Alan Sherman, hello Mada, hello Fada, but beyond that, he was a master at Midrash in a secular context, because here's what he did. He would hear words to a song, a common song that people knew, I'll give you an example in a moment, and then he'd twist them around and write his own words. And it's very hard, if you love Alan Sherman's work, to ever hear the original song without hearing his words. For example, Alouette, Jean de Alouette. Fine, many people know that song or have heard it. Alan Sherman heard different words. He heard, Alan Yetta, always sit together, watching TV every single night. Beautiful, brilliant, Alouette, Alan Yetta. And he turned it into a tribute to 1950s television. A great, great song. Beautiful, funny. But anytime somebody sings, Alouette, what am I hearing? I'm hearing Alouette, that's Midrash. Our rabbis wanted to affect the way you heard the text. Now, the question about Midrash, the major question is, do the rabbis read the story, see something in the story, and think, what could that possibly mean? And then develop a Midrash from it? Or do they have an idea of, what's some, of something they want to share, and they look and they search for a place in the Torah to hang it on, to hook it on. And the reality is, it can be either. Let me give you an example of the first one. Bereshit bara Elohim. 
We talked about this when we talked about the story of creation many, many weeks ago. In the beginning, God created. But the word reshit in Hebrew means the beginning of. In the beginning of. There's no object of the preposition of. So rabbis could write midrashim saying, well, the beginning of time and the beginning of creation or something even more creative than that. When Abraham returns from the binding of Isaac, not having sacrificed him according to God's command to stop the sacrifice before it happened, the text says Abraham returned to his servants. Where was Isaac? Isaac is not mentioned. And that led to a tremendous Midrashic tradition of what happened to Isaac. Did he go off on his own? Was he so traumatized by the event that it was if, as, if he was as if he weren't there? Or, as some rabbis actually taught at one time, although this tradition has, for a number of reasons, now been pushed aside, maybe Abraham did, in fact, sacrifice Isaac. But that's a tradition that, that is, it was prominent for a while, or at least present for a while in rabbinic tradition but was kind of squeezed out for a lot of different reasons and, and not really taken as, as a, a, um, as a uh, standard kind of midrash anymore. Most rabbis go in a much different direction. So now, what about Aaron? What was the rabbinic tradition about Aaron? The rabbinic tradition about Aaron was that Aaron was beloved by the people that Moses' brother Aaron was a person of the people, a man of the people. They knew him, and they loved him deeply. According to Pirkei Avot, Wisdom from the Sages, it says that we should be like the students of Aaron, ohev shalom v'rodev shalom, loving peace and pursuing peace. And there's a beautiful, beautiful rabbinic tradition that when two people were squabbling with each other, when two people were had an argument with each other, Aaron would go up to each of them separately, privately, and say, you know, the other person really wants to apologize to you. Sounds like something out of a, out of a situation comedy. I think that uh, Ricky Ricardo tried that with Lucy and Ethel and I Love Lucy a couple of times. They'd go to each party and they'd say, they really want to apologize to you. And that would bring them together bring the two of them together, each expecting the other to apologize and ending up in, it, with an end, to the, uh, in, in, an end to, the, to the argument. This was a tradition the rabbis had about Aaron, that he brought people together, that people loved him. Where does it come from in the Torah? Does it come from any place in the Torah? Well, I think there, there is one word, actually, in this week's Torah portion, which many of the rabbis focus on. But this is an example of the kind of midrash where the rabbis had an idea, I think, and had to find a place to hook it on in the Torah. What's that place? In last week's Torah portion, Parsha Chukat, it says when Aaron died, all of the people, kol ha'am, all of the people mourned him. And the rabbi said that it meant all of the people with all of their heart. With the death of Moses, it said the people mourned Moses. But with Aaron, it says, kol ham, all of the people. And for that reason, the rabbi said that shows, even in the Torah, 
that there was an appreciation of Aaron as a man of the people. Now, clearly that word kol all doesn't say that much. That's why I think the rabbinic tradition existed before. And the idea was, let's find a place to connect it in the Torah. And they connect it with that word all. And that's an example then of a midrash where the idea comes first and the connection with the text comes later. But the question is, why did this tradition develop? Why did this tradition develop about Aaron, that he was a man of the people, that he was so beloved by the people? And I think the answer has to do as much with Moses as it does with Aaron. So let's talk about Moses for a minute. Last week I talked about the end of Moses' career. You can't talk about the end of Moses' career without noting the fact that he was the greatest teacher our people have ever had. He was the greatest leader in the time of the Torah. He is the most prominent figure in the entire vast Jewish tradition. There is no way to, to overstate how important Moses is in the process of Torah. He's known as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher. He brings the Torah to the people. He leads the people out of Egypt. <clears throat> the question is, what kind of a person was he and what kind of a relationship did he have with the people? Well, Moses was a prophet. And a prophet is an intermediary between the people and God. But at the very end of the Torah, we read, Lokam Navi Od. There was never a prophet in all of our history like Moses who saw God face to face. It's an indication that even though Moses was an intermediary between the people and God, Moses was on a different level than most Nevi'im, than most prophets, than all other prophets. He was so elevated, it says in the end of the Torah, he saw God panim el panim, face to face, which is a entire discussion that we could take another time that might mean but just taking it on its surface clearly he had a different relationship with God than other prophets did therefore he was elevated high above the people at the beginning of Moses career just when God called him Moses says but I, I can't talk I have a speech impediment nobody's going to listen to me they're not going to hear me and so what does God say here's Aaron he will be your mouthpiece. He, you will be like a god to him, says, says uh, the book of Exodus. So what happens is Aaron becomes, in essence, the prophet connecting the people with Moses. He is the one whom the people can relate to when they can't relate to Moses because Moses is too high a figure standing up on top of Mount Sinai, not eating and drinking for 40 days, um, having this relationship with God face-to-face, -face, panim el panim, and people can't relate to that. They can't relate to that. They need somebody that they can relate to. So I think what the rabbis were saying with this entire Midrashic tradition about Aaron being a man of the people was he was different from Moses. The people not only needed a prophetic leader who, who could bring God's word down, but they needed somebody that they could relate to. And that, in fact, was Aaron. So as great as Moses was, there was one thing he wasn't. He couldn't relate to the people. Let's take that into relevant times for today. There's no question that people who are in position of authority, whether it's leaders, whether it's teachers, even whether it's parents, 
need at times to be above the people who, who are below them, whether it's children, whether it's students, whether it's employees, whatever it is. There's no question that leadership requires being on a different level at times. But leadership requires something else. Leadership requires knowing the people whom you're leading and feeling a part of them, feeling connected to them, understanding their needs and being able to relate to them. That's a critical part of leadership. And I think that what the rabbis noted about Aaron, we could say about any leader in any position of authority, that a leader has to know and be part of the people whom they are leading. And again, a teacher has to understand students. Parents have to have a relationship with their children that goes beyond some kind of authority figure. And certainly, uh, employees, managers, need to connect with their employer, employees in a way that at least shows that they're connected with them and that they understand their needs and that they're working together as a team. That's a very, very important aspect of leadership that I think the rabbis were pointing out. And now let me conclude by saying one other piece to this. I mentioned before that Moses is known as Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses, our rabbi, Moses, our teacher. Well, I would argue that to be a congregational rabbi, to be a pastor of any kind, might require at times that stepping back and being, quote, above and making decisions for the people. But that can't be the model. And it isn't the model for the vast majority of congregational rabbis that I know in this particular era. When I was growing up, our rabbi, Rabbi Emanuel Saltzman, Alava Shalom, was such an impressive figure. I loved listening to him. He was a brilliant man and he was a brilliant leader. But the model at that time was that rabbis didn't engage with the congregation that closely. I never remember seeing him at, in, in the religious school, in the Hebrew school, or at youth events. That was fine. That was the model at the time. I don't criticize him at all. Again, a phenomenal speaker, a phenomenal leader, and a phenomenal teacher. But for many of us who grew up during the, that kind of an era with rabbis being, uh, being above, high up on the bima and, and above everyone, we knew that there was something that people were demanding that was different. And for many of us, working perhaps at, at summer camps or in youth groups, we learned the need to relate to people and to be part of the people, to, to encourage people to join together with the rabbi, with the leader, to move a congregation forward and to bring meaning into our spiritual lives. So as much as Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses is the, known as Moses, our rabbi, I think that for most rabbis in this generation, Aaron is the paradigm, at least most of the time. There has to be a little bit of Moses in us as well, but there has to be that person who is comfortable with the people and whom the people are comfortable with, who can work together rather than merely be a distant leader. And I think that's what the rabbis were teaching us by bringing, Mo, by bringing this aspect of Aaron's 
personality into the story of the Torah. So think about it. Think about the roles that you have in your life. Think about the leaders whom we admire, whom we, whom we strive to emulate. It's important that in addition to being leaders at times distant, at times above, more often than not, they have to be people and we have to be people who connect with the people whom we lead. Until next time, thank you.